We would like to acknowledge that this podcast has been recorded on traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we'd like to pay our respects to elders past and present. Hello and welcome to I Used to Play Piano, the podcast for lovers of music, listeners of music and doers of music. I'm Zara. And I'm Ioana. And welcome to episode two. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to our first episode. We received some really awesome feedback where people were really positive about the topic that we were discussing, the Chopin Nocturne, and also just generally about the uh, podcast itself. It's great to know that there are lots of other people out there who are like us and who still want to engage with music but perhaps don't have time for it as much as they used to or just with everyday things that come up. Absolutely, yeah. And it was really, really heartening to see that, I guess, our stories about our love of music and our struggles in finding a place for it in our lives have really resonated with other people. We had a lot of feedback from people saying, yeah, I feel exactly the same or I've had something similar happen to me where I've had to stop playing or I had a bit of a bad experience, but now I'm really keen to get back into it after a long time. So it's really exciting to have people joining us on our journey of musical rediscovery, I guess. Yes, definitely. It did make me feel much better about sharing something so personal after yeah. afterwards I was just like, crap, should I have shared that much? <laughs> so thank you yeah, for you those bit, um... who reached out and sort of um, replied to it. It was really good to, to hear that. Yeah, it was quite a personal episode last week, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, let's not do that again for this episode. <laughs> oh, I don't know. We'll see how we go. <laughs> All, right. All right. So what have we got coming up today on the episode? We're going to talk a little bit about... Debussy. Mm-hmm. Did I say that right? I think so. I you Debussy. Have, <laughs> Debussy. Debussy, I think, is probably with the French accent. You have to remember that I did get fired from radio for mispronouncing <laughs> names at did one you point. fired for mispronouncing names? Oh, not really, but my show got cancelled at because one point. Because you mispronounced names. Not because I mispronounced <laughs> names, but I did do a late night Sunday show and I used to get lots of callers calling up to complain <laughs> about my pronunciation <laughs> or that I wasn't playing enough Mozart. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, That's it was okay. it was great. Can I tell you a really funny story, Go actually? So this was um, a number of years ago. I used to host a few different shows on 3MBS, the local um, community classical radio station in Melbourne. And on one of the shows that I presented at one point was called Melbourne in Concert, which is where they, and I think it's still going today, actually. I'm not sure. But they um, they would go out and record amazing concerts around Melbourne and then we would broadcast them as if they were live, mm-hmm. which was really fun. And I'd kind of do a little bit of an intro. And that was when I'd typically get a lot of complaints about the repertoire because often the concerts had interesting stuff, <laughs> you know, maybe a bit of um, less canon, less of the normal canon yes. repertoire, you know, more as you would want from a concert, wouldn't you? Yeah. But, you know, a lot of the listeners at that time were very adamant that they wanted more Mozart and less Beethoven. So <laughs> some of the more experimental things were getting a bit missed. And I remember one night, I can't remember who the ensemble was. I think it it was a percussion ensemble from Melbourne. And they were doing a piece where they were playing percussion. I think, I'm not sure if it was scored or if it was improvised, but it was over a soundtrack of these American girls reading out really weird pickup lines. <laughs> you know, quite full on pickup lines. How Very bizarre. corny kind of um pickup lines and I didn't get one caller and I actually thought that 
maybe everyone had died. <laughs> you know, oh, maybe wow. there was some apocalypse and I'm sitting in this recording studio. to percussion instruments <laughs> oh, accompanied by pickup lines. I thought clearly no one's listening to the night because if I get complaints about playing too much Beethoven, this is definitely, you know... Either I've given them a heart attack or <laughs> our poor listeners, everyone just tuned out maybe. I don't know. <laughs> like a mass switching off of radios that evening. That's hilarious. Uh, yes, no. It was a great, great piece though, really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I, for the life of me, I could remember who it was and yeah. credit them properly because it was a really cool performance. Oh, but... I wish it would be great to listen to it again. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I'll have to dig through the archives, <laughs> get in touch with someone at 3MBS. <laughs> Um, I don't know where that I, that just popped into my head. <laughs> oh, because you're talking about pronunciation of Debussy. Oh, of course, yeah, Debussy. Debussy. So, as you may know, it is the hundredth anniversary of Debussy's death this month. So, we thought we'd do a little bit of a segment on some of his compositions and his life to celebrate. I guess not to celebrate his death, <laughs> but to recognise yeah. all of the work that he did and um, just how significant a composer he was. Um, in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Of course, and to listen to some cool Debussy music because yes. it's, um, you know, one of my favourites. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. pretty cool. Um, so we'll also have our How Did You Spend Your Month in Music segment this episode as well. Oh, yes, that's right. We'll talk about what we've been doing since our last recording, talk a bit about what we've been doing musically in the world. And, of course, we'll end with our scale of the month. <laughs> we really need to write a proper jingle. Yeah, I think we should. It should involve scales. Scale <laughs> of the month. That's brilliant. <laughs> Done. That's it. We'll just cut that, cut, cut and paste that into every episode. I think we might need to cut that out of this episode. <laughs> we'll see how we go. Um, but before we get started, we've got a bit of an exciting announcement to talk about. Do we? We do. So some of you may know that I do a bit of work with an organization called Rewire, who are an organization that's focused on the link between music and the brain. And they do a lot of great work doing fundraising, promoting research and different programs, all that are to do with using music to support well-being and brain development and things like that. So my role with Rewire is a performance practice coordinator. And what that means is I help to organize some different performance locations for students who are learning an instrument. And at the moment, we're doing a project where we're organizing them in different retirement villages. Because you might not know this, but if anyone has um, a relative or um, friends who live in retirement villages, often they have really lovely pianos and really Mm. lovely spaces to play. And unfortunately, a lot of the time they don't get used very often or maybe once once a month or something like that. Mm. So we thought, well, why not? Let's bring the two communities together so that residents of the village and their families and friends can come along and it also gives the students a chance to then practice performing. Um, I don't know about you, Ioana, but when I was a student, the pretty much the only time I ever performed in front of someone up until I got to, you know, VCE years or end of high school mm-hmm. was in an AMEB exam. Yeah, <laughs> that's the same for me. Oh, yeah. And, you know, or those the exams. Yeah, concert that my teacher used to put on. But... Oh, that's good. Yeah. Some <laughs> teachers are really good like that. They'll yeah. put on a an end of year concert, but I know mine certainly didn't, or if maybe I wasn't invited to them. <laughs> um, but, you know, as a, you know, a young student learning to play piano, there weren't a whole lot of opportunities to perform other than in that tiny little exam room with one examiner who's probably at their wits end because they've heard the same piece played terribly a hundred yeah. times already that day. And, you know, it's never a 
a wonderful experience doing an exam. I don't think, you know, even if you are the most keen and passionate student, they're not the most fun environment to perform Mm, in. So at Rewire, that's some of the work I've been doing with Rewire is to make these performance spaces for students and to promote them throughout the community. So here at I Used to Play Piano, we're starting a bit of a partnership with Rewire, which is really exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. So what we're hoping to do is to curate some performances around Melbourne. Um, Unfortunately, we're based in Melbourne for all of our interstate and international listeners. We do have listeners international. Yeah, it's very exciting. (laughs) Um, But what we're hoping to do is is book a space in Melbourne to do some performances where we'll get some listeners to come and perform. We might even hold a bit of an open mic night where people can come up if you don't want to make it too formal. Um, But we want to invite you all to join us in this. We'll certainly be aiming to perform as well. Yes. Yes. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, we have to put our money where our mouths are, don't we? Well, I already have. You already have. You are yet to. (laughs) I am yet to. That's correct. I don't know if I kick that goal, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) So we think it's really important that we don't just talk about getting involved in music, but that we actually do it as well. Definitely. So that's something that's coming up on the horizon. We'll put more information up on our social media accounts. Um... And we might get a mailing list that people can subscribe to as well Mm, for more information about that. But in the meantime, start thinking about whether that's something you'd like to do if you're based in Melbourne and you'd like to come along and join in. We're hoping also to record them and to include them as part of our podcast as well. So start, put your thinking cap on, start thinking about repertoire and things like that. And even if you're a teacher and you have students who you know would like to perform in something like this. Uh, definitely bring them along we can um, the more people we have the more concerts we get to do so absolutely that's yeah that's a really good point and also if you've got students who would be interested in being part of the rewire performance practice program as well which is as I said before doing um, student performances in retirement villages please get in touch as well and we'll put you onto that program too Thanks, Sarah. That sounds like a really cool and exciting project. Yeah, I'm excited. I've got to get practicing, though. Yeah, I know. It's It's good, though. Yes, it is great. All right. Shall we move on to our first segment for the month? Sure. Your month in music. Yay. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) All right. Ioana, tell me about how your musical month has been. My musical month has been a bit dry. I haven't done too much in the way of music. I have, however... Some of you might know, some of you might not know, that I play in a brass band. <gasps> Shock, I thought you were a pianist. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the moment I'm playing more brass instruments than I am p- piano. <laughs> what um what brass instruments do you play? So I started playing in this brass band about when I was 15, so 15 years ago. Wow. And um, I was playing cornet at the time when I started and then... When this band that I currently play in formed in the organization, I moved to, I played cornet for a bit, but then I moved to tenor horn. Right. Which is like your smallest tuba. Ah. And then. Wait, I, is that the same as a euphonium or no, different? No, smaller still. Oh, right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, but same sort of family, I guess. Okay. Um, God. Hopefully I'm getting this right. Otherwise I'll be like banned from the brass. Band. Banned from the band. <laughs> banned from the band. <laughs> Um, and it, yeah. And then from then I played on tenor horn for a couple of years and then last year I was playing flugelhorn and now I'm back on cornet. And so each year we work towards the, um, national band championships 
and each year they're in a different city of uh, in around the country but this year it's in Melbourne so I don't have to go anywhere yay oh I mean that's kind of sad though because I remember yeah. a few years ago you went off to Brisbane and that looked really fun yeah they are always really fun trips yeah. away um, but it's actually quite nice to just be able to stay in Melbourne this year. Yeah, fair um, enough. So this year, the con- contest begins on the 30th of March. It is held at the Methodist Ladies College and Xavier College in Kew. Um, you'll see lots of different brass bands from across the country come and um, take part in this competition. And I think that you should all get down there and see what brass banding is all about because it's actually pretty cool. And there's some, always some really, really cool music um, being played. If you want to know more, you should get onto the website nationalbandchampionships.com.au. Uh, the Victorian Bands League does a lot of work to get this competition sorted for um, this year, seeing as it's being hosted in um, Melbourne. If for some reason you can't get out of the house due to family commitments being Easter weekend, then you can view it online. <gasps> Brass Band... Tim Kelly does an amazing job um, getting the world of brass out to everyone. Uh, so just go to Brass Band, that's brass, B-A-R-S-S-B-A-N-N-E-D.com. So that's Brass Band with double N that's in right. band? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, <laughs> so we'll put a link up to it on the Facebook page. Do. Um, so yeah, Tim and his team do an amazing job bringing Brass Band out to those who love it and those who might not know that they love it. So you should definitely um, have a listen. That's really cool. I didn't realize they they streamed it online. Yeah, they do. That's super cool. It's really cool. He streams the New Zealand um, Brass Band Championships as well. Is it competitive? I mean, obviously it's a competition, but is it? I just I have um <laughs> my my only like reference point of references other than piano is Stedford's, which are awful. <laughs> oh no, I did the the school bands. Is it the Yamaha School Bands Festival? Yeah, that's not the same vibe though. I think I did that before. Mm, I yeah. did those too. Yeah, this can get quite competitive. Yeah, yeah, but um, our band's done quite well in the past. We recently moved up to a different a grade, and so we're sort of um in the same grade as a lot of the bands who have come down from A grade or sort of have been in B grade for a while or are too good for C grade. So there's a bit of a mix in them, but we are slowly um, improving cool. and sort of meeting those standards. So it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. Can we say what your band is? I don't know if you already did that or not. No, I didn't. But oh. I play Northern Brass, which is part of the Darabin Brass organization. Cool. Nice. Darabin City Brass, I should say. That's awesome. I should know. I was on the committee for a while. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, that's, um, that's my plug for this week. <laughs> so you, you say you've had a dry month and haven't really been doing much, but you've been obviously preparing for a yeah, I've been playing a, a bit. I haven't really competition, gone to yeah. any, see any music, I don't recall. It's um, bad when you can't remember it, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. guess, yeah. But it's good. Um, yeah, I'm going to aim to do more for next month. I do think about it. I'm like, oh, no, we've got another episode coming up. I really better try and get into something. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, for any listeners listening, obviously listeners are listening, sorry. (laughs) But if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, I've got this event coming up, maybe we'd like to come along to it or something like that. Um, Or if you'd like it advertised, please let us know because we'd be happy to plug your your gigs and things like that. Or even if you just went and saw a really cool gig that you want to just talk about because it was the most amazing thing you've ever seen, um, let us know. Yeah. This is what we want to hear about of course and also things like music documentaries or yeah. movie do- uh not movie um cd reviews and yeah. things like that 
yeah, yeah. you know, we're, we're really keen to hear recommendations and things like that as well. So yeah. let us know. Definitely. Absolutely. Did you do anything in, in music this month, Zara? Uh, well, like you, Yuana, I guess you could say that my month has been fairly dry <laughs> in terms of music. I mean, I've been doing a lot of music for work, yeah. but not so much for funsies. Mm. Um, but there's a good reason for that. Yeah. So this month my PhD officially kicked off. Oh no, that yes. means we won't see you for the next three to four no, years. see you guys. <laughs> Go on, disappearing into the Bye. void. Bye. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's kept me quite preoccupied as I've been kind of getting into the swing of things with that. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what your PhD is on? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so I'll try not to, I'll keep it concise and try not to bore people. <laughs> That's all good. But basically, um, I'm really fortunate to be doing a PhD through the National Music Therapy Research Unit at Melbourne University, which mm-hmm. is um, really exciting and I'm surrounded by a lot of wonderful researchers too, which is really cool. But I'm super, super fortunate to also have my PhD be a part of a bigger research project, which is being run by my supervisor, Dr. Jeanette Tamplin. And basically, the project is... Um, we're setting up a bunch of these, uh, you could call them therapeutic choirs. Mm -hmm. So choirs that are designed specifically um, to be therapeutic and to have therapeutic benefits and to be run by registered therapists, basically, registered music therapists. Mm -hmm. So the choirs are designed specifically for people who have dementia and their caregivers, and that's a family member or a friend who's doing their primary care. Mm -hmm. And for people who are still living at home in the community. So the aim of the research is to find out whether participating in a weekly choir, um, a weekly therapeutic choir, can have a positive impact on the relationship between the caregiver and the care recipient. So the person with dementia and their family member. Um, Because what we know is that, you know, there's a a huge number of um, people with dementia who are living at home and being supported by a family member or a friend. Um, So whether that's their partner or whether it's their son or daughter Mm -hmm. um, or sibling, it's quite a big, quite a large number of people still living at home in the community. And we also know that living at home is kind of the optimal place for people who, for anyone really, who's going through an illness um, until they need that higher level care yeah um particularly for people with dementia when they're having you know decline in memory and function to be at home is really the best place that they can be um to support them and to help prolong their lives and things like that you know so we're trying to look at to see how participating in a weekly choir can help to sustain that relationship between caregiver and person who has dementia Mm -hmm. and to help improve maybe either improve or sustain the relationship and over like I guess, ultimately keep them at home for as long as possible, yeah. you know, support them to live at home for as long as possible. Yeah, right. Yeah. So my part of the research, um, that's going to be a big um, randomized control trial right. around Melbourne and Hobart, Oh wow. which is great. Yeah. yeah. So my part of the research, there will be um, a more qualitative approach to really look at the experiences of participants mm. in depth to really gain a, an understanding of what they got out of being involved. So how many participants are you hoping to have? We're hoping to recruit 180 pairs of people. Pairs, right. So that's 180 people who are going through dementia and 180 caregivers as well. Yeah. So that's quite a high number and we're actually having a bit of trouble getting mm. people getting the message out, I guess. It's yeah. quite difficult to access people who are going through this kind of an um, illness because they're not 
able to access things that they usually would as well. Yeah. You know, um, you know, it, it does kind of limit you and you when you're caring for someone or when you have a degenerative disease. So um, if anyone who's listening to this knows someone who has dementia or if you, you know, on the off chance that you might have a diagnosis yourself, um, there are some criteria that you need to meet. So you need to be over the age of 60 and you need to have a diagnosis of dementia or be caring for someone who has dementia and still living at home in the community. But if you meet those criteria or you know someone who does, maybe you've got a family member or a friend who's going through that, um, please feel free to get in touch with us at I used to play podcast at gmail.com and I can send you some more information about the study and how to, um, we have a person who's taking control of recruitment so I can send you their details as sure. well. Is there an age limit for the caregivers as well or just the patients? Just the patients. Right. Yeah. No worries. Awesome. Well, um, like Zara said, if you know anyone, please don't hesitate to get in touch. It sounds like a really cool, um, research project. Um, that, yeah, please do. Yeah. And we might post the flyer up um on our website as well yeah yeah cool thanks for sharing that with us no worries thanks for letting me plug it (laughs) no problems it's the episode of plugging yes it really (laughs) is isn't it oh that reminds me i also have a bit of a gig coming up so i play in a band called musical journeys and we're a bit of a multicultural slash world music type band we come from all over the place including australia obviously um ethiopia papua new guinea Fiji, Pakistan and Malaysia, to name a few. And we're going to be performing at an event on Sunday the 1st of April at 2pm. And we're going to be performing at a Friends of Music concert series at St George's Anglican Church in Travancore. And this is a really special concert. It's actually a fundraising and memorial concert for our dear friend, Dr Ben Lesky, who sadly passed away from cancer earlier this month. And this gig is raising money for Cure for Brain Cancer, which is a cause that was really close to Ben's heart. And Ben was a wonderful local musician, um, choir conductor, who collaborated with Musical Journeys um, a lot over the past year, um, including obtaining a grant for us to do some more collaborations with his choir, the Footscray Community Choir, and running some workshops with us too. So we're really, um, I guess, honoured to be performing at this event in memory of Dr. Ben, and also to raise some money for cure brain cancer. So this gig, as I said, is on the 1st of April at 2pm at St. George's Anglican Church in Travancore. And it is being put on as part of a concert series by the Friends of Music, um, who are a wonderful group that support all types of emerging musicians and put on these concert series at St. George's throughout the year. So it's now time for the main segment of our episode, the feature piece. Feature piece. (laughs) This month we are looking at Debussy's prelude um, number eight from book one, The Girl with the Flaxen Hair. I'm not even going to attempt the French title because I will probably mess it up big time. So let's stick with the English version. Yep. (laughs) Um, We... Um, our one of our noisemen, Dan Liston, unwillingly volunteered um, to perform to 
do a recording for this piece. <laughs> Uh, when I was recording the Chopin a couple of weeks back, he just jumped on the piano and started sight reading this prelude. And I we, mean, he had played it in the past, but perhaps not for 10 years or so. Yeah, he was definitely <laughs> sight reading and it made us all feel really bad about ourselves. Yes, so <laughs> we said that he had to play it for yes, us. Yes, you, you don't get to sight read Debussy in front of us no. and then not... And get away with it. Yeah, <laughs> it needs to be broadcast, basically. <laughs> um, did you want to say a little bit about Dan? Yeah, so Dan is a wonderful pianist. He is a graduate of Monash. University. He has a master's in classical music performance and he also plays in two heavy metal bands. Yeah. <laughs> so if you get um if you're a bit tired of the classical music by the end of this episode and you want to um have a bit of a change, you can go and check out his bands, um, Meridian and Catacombs. They're both really cool. And you can almost hear the keyboard in it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to hear more of what he's doing, he's a bit of a composer himself, I believe. That's right. He's got a SoundCloud where he's putting up some samples of things that he's been recording and um, some of his classical performances as well. So you can search him at Dan Liston Music. Go Dan, one of those super talented people. Yeah. Love him. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so Zara did a little bit of research around Debussy. Um, and so- when we say a little bit, we really mean a little bit. <laughs> The key things that you need to know about the man. Yes. So do you want to share a little bit of that? Absolutely. So as we've alluded to throughout this episode, Debussy was French. He, and I think did we, we mentioned that the reason that we're doing this is because um, it is the 100th anniversary um, since his passing. So we thought it would be a good fit for this episode. And yeah. given that Dan was already playing it, playing around with it, we figured why not? So one of the things, and you you will probably know this if you're a bit of a classical music enthusiast and you may not if um, you're new to the works of Debussy, but Debussy is often described as an impressionist composer. And when the term impressionist music gets thrown around, um, it's often as to draw parallels between the impressionist art movement, which um, we know is very famous art movement, um, including artists like Monet and Van Gogh. Um, and the idea in that art to give you all a bit of a mental picture of it is that rather than the super fine details and structures from the art that came before impressionist art used a lot of big wide brush strokes, um, and kind of captured the essence of an image rather than being super detailed. So the idea is that it evokes a lot more emotion when you're looking at the piece rather than fine detail Mm -hmm. and that's kind of where the term impressionism and impressionist music started to be used to make comparisons between that art movement and the music that was being made by Debussy and his peers in the late 19th century early 20th century so I wasn't really aware of this I might have heard it mentioned in the past but Debussy was actually not a fan of the term impressionist music which is funny because I've always been taught yeah, that me too. Debussy equals impressionism. Yeah. And playing in Debussy is like playing a Monet painting. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got some really great quotes from Debussy himself about impressionism. He is quoted as saying that he's trying to do something different with his compositions. Um, and I think he described people who oh, called his music impressionistic. Um, he referred to them as imbeciles, <laughs> which I think is hilarious, <laughs> getting really angry at people. Oh, he it. said it was a term which is as poorly used as possible. <laughs> so he was not a fan of the term impressionism. I guess it is sort of like, it, well, it sort of still comes down to that whole like putting everyone under a label or, or like containing them into this 
era or period of style. Yeah. he was trying to break down the boundaries of classical, and I'm using quotation marks, classical music. Yes. And like the music that came before him in the Romantic period. He was really trying to break all of that down. And then you get people who are calling him impressionistic and his music impressionistic. Which makes it sound like he's looking at a Monet and thinking, I'm going to write that or I'm going to yeah. play that on the piano. You know, yeah. I can understand where his frustrations yeah. came. Yeah. And it's, it's I guess, well-reasoned um, well frustration because we're still learning that nowadays, yeah. you know, 100 years later. Um, well, more than 100 years later, really. So, as you said, Debussy was really trying to break away from the traditional um, soundscape, I guess, of music Mm -hmm. that had come before him. He was a big fan of Mozart. Um, I believe he had a bit of a tumultuous relationship with Beethoven's music in his mind. I think he told one student that he didn't want him to play it because it was like um, someone was dancing on his grave. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, that's Beethoven's music, which is hilarious as well. Um, That's, I love when we start to look at composers from more recent, relatively recent times because you get these amazing quotes from them that are, you know, yeah. really show their personality. Yeah, a bit definitely. More. Um, so Debussy was really known for using non-traditional scales and a lot of chromaticism in his writing. He used a lot of um, parallel fifths, parallel um, octaves as well, open kind of sounds in his composition, sometimes referred to as bitonal. And often there was an absence of a clear tonal centre in his writing as well. So a couple more facts about Debussy um, that I thought we should mention. Um, He was very influential on a lot of um, early 20th century jazz as well. Mm. So um, artists like Gershwin were quite inspired um, or influenced by his compositions and style of writing as well. And we know Debussy himself was inspired by a lot of what was going on around him in the world at the time. So Mm. I think it was 1889 was the Paris World Fair Mm. um, where he was exposed to Javanese gamelan music and music from China as well, which you can really hear in a lot of his compositions as well, that that, um, influence coming through. There's a little bit, and I'll mention it only briefly because I I couldn't find a lot of discussion about it in academic literature. or even in, you know, opinions. And I guess that's because classical music is probably still quite closed off and exclusively Mm. white, I guess I would say. That might be a bit controversial, but, um, you know, there's not a lot of representation of people of colour and people from different cultures um, that aren't traditionally involved in classical music. So maybe this discussion is something that's coming, given the current social climate. Um, But there's a a few of the Bussy's pieces are very... um, reminiscent and in fact based on minstrel shows and minstrel sounds there's obviously the gollywogs cakewalk um so i guess that's an interesting aspect that can be looked at as well in in terms of his music and what he was being influenced um by or in, Mm. in and around himself yeah um there's a really interesting article by stephen hoff who is a british pianist i was about to say british prime minister no (laughs) um and he looks at um the work of um, Debussy he wrote it it's in the New York Times oh great and it just sort of saying how much of a um, an influence Debussy still has on today on, on music today and um, just his impact on the music world and just his pure genius and compositions and everything so it's really an interesting read I'll pop up a link on the um, or I'll share it on our page on please Facebook. do I thought it was quite interesting 
Um, so just some of the things you said there just reminded me of that. And I thought, yeah, you should all read, read it. Of course. Um, some other interesting facts about Debussy um, and his life. So he did. A, he had a lot of different jobs, um, working as a you know composer and a teacher, and also a music critic, which apparently he used a pseudonym for. Um, which is you know fair enough if you're mm. a performer yourself or a composer yeah. yourself, you don't want to be openly criticizing others. I guess. Yeah. Um, not good so his pseudonym was Monsieur Croche. <laughs> I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I do apologize. I took a very brief French lesson at some point during my studies. <laughs> very, very brief. Studies for this episode or studies in general? In gen- Oh, at university. <laughs> okay. I did a unit on French at one point. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that as a critic that he would do, which I found really interesting, was that he would try not to overanalyze the music in terms of trying to get symbolism and imagery from it. Um, he was quite against that. And he talked about music being, um, you know, a form of magic, I guess. And Mm. if you overanalyze it and say, oh, this is what the composer means by that, or this is what they were doing and this is what's coming out of it, then you're kind of ruining that magic, I guess. It was really an interesting... That is really interesting. And it segues really nicely into the preludes. Yeah. Should we um, take it from there? Yeah. Yeah. So this is Dan Liston playing... That Claude Debussy's prelude number eight, The Girl with the Flaxen Hair. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, Dan, for uh, letting us record you um, play that lovely piece. And it is actually quite, quite brilliant. I'm so chilled out right now. No, I know. It's just <laughs> a really, really nice piece. It's and it's not that piece. hard. Like, I actually, the day after we recorded the Chopin and Dan was showing off, I just came home and wanted to learn it myself. And it's pretty easy piece to pick up, so maybe he's not as brilliant as we think he is. Oh, no. Dan, you're brilliant. We love you. <laughs> I'm just joking. Amazing. Um, no, no, all good. Yeah, so as Zara was talking um, just before um, we listened to the recording about not putting, um, you know, too much stock in the imagery being presented and just sort of enjoying the magic that's being created. Yeah. The probably the most interesting thing about the preludes that I find interesting anyway is that each of them do have a title, but none of the titles are put at the beginning of the piece. They all come after each prelude in parentheses. You mean like after the and double bar line? Yeah. So wow, right. They're sort of written um, after the, That's weird. Uh, under the last. Um, what's this? A last? What's that called? The score? No. This Dave. Last Dave. <laughs> been a while clearly <laughs> the last stave um of the of the, of the score of the score for we're highly prelude. educated musicians we do have degrees <laughs> in music but it's been a while um this is why we're doing this so we can learn again yes <laughs> um yeah so they are each name is put under um under the last stave of <laughs> at the end of the, each prelude and it's sort of put in parentheses so it sort of is indicative of what the style of the piece but it the, the reason Debussy um put them there this is still debated on but it's so the performers weren't influenced by the title and were sort of able to um explore the music on the score a bit more um and it's one of those things like when you do sort of get to the end of them and you look at the piece the title of the piece just sort of go oh yeah that's sort of nice. <laughs> That's kind of cool. I like that idea. So it's like you're kind of coming at it with a blank slate. Yeah. And then at the end you're like, I was thinking about yeah. the sea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So one of my favorite preludes is the Sunken Cathedral. Yes. Yeah. Which I think is number 10 from the book, the first book. <gasps> I remember you playing that <laughs> in, I think I must have been in first year at uni and you were playing it in one of our master classes. Did I? I didn't yeah. think I played it that early. Well, you would have been in second year when I was in first year. Oh. I don't remember playing that. Anyway, that's all right. Um, and it's just, it's like, it's an awesome piece. And it really, really cool does piece. sound like a cathedral under the sea. Yeah. Because yeah. there's lots of sort of organish. organish Deep kind of. Yeah. That bell drones, sound. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's one thing that like, I think is really cool about that, that, you know, he does sort of put the names at the at the end, and um, you don't really think about what you're supposed to be um, conveying, I guess, or um, just sort of playing. It just sort of comes yeah. through the music naturally. Um, but most of the titles were derived derived from literary impressions, which might contradict. <laughs> oh, really? Right. Well, this is the thing as well. Yeah, they were sort of um, well, one one the edition that I have. This is what they sort of said in the introduction to it that they do sort of derive from either literary impressions, recollections, or familiar objects, um, which sort of makes sense because it's sort of like it maybe is a little bit indicative of or more about the idea of like just the reflections maybe. Right. Um, well, actually, that does kind of ring a bell with something that I read read when I was doing my reading for this. 
um, where it said it mentioned that he was really influenced by French literature styles at the time, which mm. were all about symbolism. Yeah. So maybe that's kind of where yeah. that that connects in, rather than yeah. the art impressionist yeah. movement. Well, yeah. the girl with the flaxen hair was actually taken from or inspired by one of the poems Antiques by Le Comte de Lille, who is a French um, poet. And a lot of, I was sort of flicking through trying to find the poem itself, but I gave up maybe 300 pages in. Whoa. Because <laughs> it was all in French. I couldn't find an English translation. But a lot of the titles indicated, um, sort of, were, were sort of tied to Greek um, antiquity. Right. So some of them were around the battles of Hercules, and then there was also, I think, the, um, oh, who was it? Orpheus? Yes. 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 Um, so <laughs> I think maybe it's sort of got to do a little bit with that as well. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. It's interesting that you mentioned Hercules because that did remind me of one other humorous quote that I found <laughs> from Debussy. Um, if I don't, if you don't mind me interjecting no, here. <laughs> At the end of his life, he passed away from uh, colorectal cancer mm. and he actually had one of the earliest colostomy operations as well. And... It worked for a little bit, um, which is pretty amazing considering how long ago that mm, was, yeah. which I found really interesting. Um, but his quote about getting dressed in the morning following that operation, he was quite frustrated by it, which as, as you would be. Mm. He described it as having all the labors of Hercules in one, <laughs> trying to get dressed in the morning. Oh, God. <laughs> so maybe that maybe he did have quite a strong connection to Greek literature. Mm. Maybe you mm. did. <laughs> there you go. Another interesting thing about this particular prelude was that it was originally written by Debussy. He originally set it as a song for Madame Vasnia in 1882. With lyrics? Yes, with lyrics, yeah. So she was an amateur singer and um, he accompanied her. Like While he was sort of trying to make a living while he was studying, he was being an accompanist, which he hated doing. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> and he basically started um, accompanying her and he fell in love with her. Oh, that's... And so, um, yeah, it is nice, except she was married, uh. 14 years older than him and had two kids. <laughs> so she wasn't sort of, you know, but they did develop a nice um, relationship, I believe. Frenchmen. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that was probably one of the, the um, things that was most interesting about this particular prelude, that it was originally set to music or set as a song. Wow. Yeah. Is there, have you ever heard any adaptions no, of that? No, I or... haven't. Um, That's really amazing. Yeah, I, never I knew might that. actually look into that a little bit more, and if I find something, I'll chuck it up on the, the Facebook page. Yeah, and if anyone has sung it or knows of the song mm. version, I'd love to hear it too. Yeah, yeah, I think Debussy actually tried to break again, breaking away from traditions like the German lead and that sort of yeah um, song. He really had a hand in developing French song. Right, I yeah. didn't know that at all. Yeah, that was one of the things he did. Um, so. That was, yeah, that's The Girl with the Flaxen Hair. If you want a good recording of both books of preludes, there are 24 in total. Um, Pierre Laurent Amid, who is a, a pianist, I think he's a French pianist. Sounds French. I have actually heard him perform live playing Messiaen. It was most of two hours of my life. Oh, wow. Um, but he um, has a CD called Debussy Preludes Books 1 and 2. Very original. But it's a really good recording of all the works, so you should definitely check that out if you want to have a listen to all of it. That's right, because these... The prelude comes from a series of preludes. Yeah. That's correct. That's right. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, cool. So I think that's all we have in our feature piece of the month. Excellent. And please, if you'd like to um, continue the discussion or if you have anything to add, if you know some cool Debussy facts um, or would like to talk about the piece and maybe if it has a special meaning to you, please feel free to get in touch with us via email or on social media. And we'd love to hear your Debussy stories. Definitely. Great. So it's that time again. It is time for our scale of the month. Yay! <laughs> and shall we have the the grand reveal? Oh, actually, before we do the grand reveal, um, I had some really exciting news. Mm. So one wonderful listener, Jessica Carascolo heard. I really hope I said your name right, Jess. <laughs> um, she is a singer and also a woodwind player. Hmm. I'm struggling to remember what woodwind she played. I think it was clarinet. Um, <laughs> so we knew each other back in the day in the early days of my music studies at uni. And she got in touch after listening to the first episode and talked about some of her experiences. And we're going to have her as a guest on the show in the future, Yay. which is really exciting. I believe she also does some broadcast work as well. So she's well accustomed to being on radio. <laughs> and she is going to... Um, come on and talk about some of her experiences, as I said. But she also very kindly recorded herself singing last week, like last month's scale of the month, <laughs> which was, you might recall, was E major. So I hope you've all practiced. <laughs> Give yourself a pat on the back if you have. Well done. I did um, not. Joanna. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So here is Jess singing an E major scale. Take it away, Jess. Yay! Thank you, Jess. Thank you for getting involved. Um, and of course, if you would like your scale of the month featured in on our podcast, please email it in. Email us a little recording. Um, and if you've got a cool story that you'd like to share with us as well, please get in touch. We'd love to hear it. Definitely. So this month, the scale for the month is. C-sharp minor. Woohoo! Woo and I believe we chose this one because it was a relative minor of E major. Yes. Now, I haven't touched this and I haven't done it on purpose because Zara asked me not to. <laughs> well, <laughs> even the playing field. I figured last time after my dismal attempt, <laughs> I figured, you know what? You can try it. I've been mentally practicing it though. Have you? Are you going to play natural minor, harmonic minor? Harmonic we didn't talk minor. about this. Harmonic minor. Okay. Who knows what the natural minor is? Although it's probably easier. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's give this a go. Oh dear. <clears throat> Managed to cover up that right hand slip with my left hand, but well no done. problems. <laughs> ah, well, that's what we'll be practicing this month. Yes, indeed. I'm going home to practice it. Try right all the different variations. Get stuck into the arpeggios, the minor six, the major six. Oh, I love playing, um, well. oh, playing the thirds piano. as well. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, these can't be done on any other instrument unless you're good at like harmonics. Is that what it's called? Playing harmonics when you yeah. If anyone can do that, if anyone can sing harmonics, sing a C sharp minor scale in harmonics. I would love to hear it. But that's a challenge. Oh well, actually, if you if you want to see someone singing really cool harmonics, you can search Bobby McFerrin. Do you remember him? He was the singer from the eighties who released that 
amazing song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. which is – I never realized it's entirely a cappella. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, and I use that song a lot in music therapy as a, a basis for writing oh, – right. um, for helping people write their own kind of version of the yeah, song. Yeah. It's a really, really great song. Um, but what I didn't know is that Bobby McFerrin is an amazing musician – He's not just an 80s one-hit wonder. He's a huge, like, super great um, musician in his own right. He's done kind of TED Talk type things where he's talked about um, music alongside neuroscientists. Oh, wow. And he was also – I've seen him do this amazing – if I can find it, I'll post it to the Facebook page um, – where he's singing harmonics, oh. which is incredible because yeah, I think there's cool. a really – um, small amount of people in the world who can actually can do, do that. Um, there's another singer, I think, um, I'm trying to remember where I've heard this. I think it was a collaboration with the band Snarky Puppy as well, mm. um, where there's a jazz singer singing along and she's doing them too. And it's just incredible. It's, you know, if I could learn how to do that. Wow. That's like... cool. Please don't strain yourselves. <laughs> you don't want any injuries. <laughs> if you can't sing harmonics, we won't think any less of you. No, but if you can, please send us <laughs> Um, I did learn how to whistle and sing at the same time this month. Oh, that's cool. You want to hear? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to work on that so you can whistle the C sharp minor and then think, sing the third. Maybe I will. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Awesome. So that is the episode. Thanks so much for listening again. I uh, hope we hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget to send us, uh, send in your responses to anything or let us know how you spent your month in music or how you plan to spend next month in music. Yes, let us know if you have any gigs that you'd like us to mention. Um, please feel free to send in recordings of yourself playing. We'd love to hear that. Um, and start thinking about if you'd be keen to do an open mic night with us or even a, a bit of a longer performance as well. Um, we're open to curating a, a big performance if you'd like or a long performance I should say mm. or we could do an open mic night where people just come up and play one piece really up to you guys so let us know what you're thinking um, if you're keen to do that and yeah start thinking about what you can play awesome tune in next month for our next episode we're not going to tell you what's going to happen so you'd come back and listen and because we don't know yet <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell them that. I was trying to spur curiosity. Oh, sorry. Well, I can say that I am trying to get my own recording of a piece done yes. in this time. I'm going to that take the, um, the long weekend maybe to to do a bit of recording and playing playing some music, I think. Yeah, yeah. do it. Cool. So thank you again for listening. Um, remember to follow us on Facebook at I Used to Play Piano Podcast, on Instagram at I Used to Play Piano. And if you wanted to get in touch and share your stories with us, which we highly recommend, our email address is I Used to Play Podcast at gmail.com. So until next time, be musical. Bye. Bye. Bye.